Hello everyone and welcome to the Conqueror's Podcast, episode 3.1, The Amorites and the Rise of Babylon. In order to tell the story of our next great conqueror, we will continue from where we left off in our previous episode, The Fall of the Akkadian Empire. So let's continue. During the reign of Sargon's great-grandson, Shar Kalishari, the empire faced several major challenges simultaneously. The usual internal rebellions in Mesopotamia, especially in Sumer and by vassal kings of the empire. Raids of a people called the Gutians who inhabited the Zagros Mountains in the east, which had already begun during the reign of his father, increased. But the worst seems to have been a severe drought, or a series of droughts, that hit the empire and lasted for many years. This drought was caused by a severe climactic event that seems to have contributed to the fall of not just the Akkadian Empire, but also of the Old Kingdom in Egypt, the Indus Valley Civilization in India, and of the Liangzhu culture in China. Slowly, more and more parts of the empire broke away, and although a small rump state centered around Akkad survived for a few more decades, the great empire of Sargon was no more. Eventually, Akkad itself was overrun by the Gutians, who established their own realm in its stead. To the south, however, the Sumerians were at first able to attain self-rule from the Gutians, and eventually, full independence. One Sumerian ruler of Uruk, Utuhijal, was able to form a coalition that drove off the Gutians, and ushered in a period called the Sumerian Renaissance. The culmination of this period was the establishment of the last great native Sumerian dynasty by Ur-Namu, the ruler of Ur, who either rebelled and deposed Utuhijal, or was his son-in-law. Sources differ. This dynasty is today called the Third Dynasty of Ur, named after the capital of this dynasty. This dynasty lasted for a little more than a century, and at its height ruled over Sumer and many parts of northern Mesopotamia. This period is also considered the golden age of the ziggurat. A ziggurat is a pyramidal step tower that served as an architectural and religious structure in the major cities of Mesopotamia. It was usually a part of a temple complex and was the center and largest building in the city. The great ziggurat of Ur, perhaps the best preserved and the most famous ziggurat, was built during this period by order of Ur-Namu. Fun fact! Abraham, the patriarch of the three major Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, was according to tradition, probably born during this period, in Ur, called in the Bible, Ur-Kasdim. The Sumerian Renaissance, however, came to an end, caused by two main factors. One, attacks by the Amorites. I'll expand later about who the Amorites were. But in short, they were a people from the west of the Euphrates. Their attacks on Sumer had already begun during the early days of the dynasty, and slowly, as the power of the dynasty waned, its territories either fell to the invaders or broke off to defend themselves, causing further decline. 2. During its whole existence, the dynasty seems to have fought on and off with the Ilamites to their east. And although in its early days they were able to sack the Ilamite capital of Susa, and even topple its ruling dynasty, in time the wheels of history turned, and after a failed invasion by the Sumerians during the reign of the last king, Ibisin, the Ilamites retaliated, 
taking the king as captive, sacking Ur, and bringing an end to the last great Sumerian dynasty. It is here, with the fall of the third dynasty, that a power vacuum in Mesopotamia occurs, which is slowly filled by the Amorites. So, who were the Amorites? Their precise origin is not known, but it is probably the highland areas in what is today central Syria. They seem to have been a semi-nomadic people. They originally spoke a northwestern dialect of the Semitic languages. This dialect was very similar to the one spoken by the Akkadians, as evident by their later quick integration in the Mesopotamian landscape. The name Amorites comes to us from the Bible, where they are described as enemies of the Israelites and their god. The Sumerians called them Martu, and the Akkadians called them Amuru. All these names simply mean Westerners, or people of the West. We also don't know if the Amorites were a single people, or a group of people or tribes who shared some traits, and who for their civilized Eastern neighbors were considered barbarians, and so were grouped under a single term. Their later activity would certainly support the later, as every chieftain or tribe seems to have acted separately from the others. They were already known to the Sumerians well before the days of the Akkadian Empire, and the Akkadians had fought and incorporated some of their lands during the height of their empire. It was the same climactic changes and droughts that led to the fall of the Akkadians that seemed to have been the main drive for the migration of the Amorites eastwards. Also, no doubt that the rumors of the riches of Sumer and Akkad played a part. The Amorites took advantage of the power vacuum in Syria and northern Mesopotamia to expand, and expand they did, and fast. By the time of the third dynasty of Ur, they had already overran eastern Syria and northern Mesopotamia, establishing their own state there in Mari and Ebla, previously Sumerian and Akkadian cities, and began penetrating deep into Sumer itself. By the late days of the dynasty, it is even recorded that its penultimate king, Shinsin ordered the construction of a wall between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers to hold the invaders off, similar to the wall that the Chinese would construct centuries later to keep the barbarians out. And although on a far smaller scale, its effectiveness was the same, as it was hard to man and had no definite end. So, why build it, right? As mentioned previously, the Amorites were one of the major factors for the fall of the Third Dynasty, and after a while, their seemingly very opportunistic nature kicked in once more, so that in a century, entire cities and areas, especially in northern Sumer, were under their control. What followed was a period of about 400 years called the Amorite Period. The early parts of this period were very similar to the old Sumerian one, Many Amorite and other leaders, each wanting more power and more wealth, with shifting success and conflict. It is here that I'll mention one of them shortly, a guy called Shamshi Adad. He was an Amorite king who from his base in the city called Ekalatum, and with the help of another Amorite city to the south, we'll soon discuss, was able to conquer lands across much of Syria, Anatolia, and Upper Mesopotamia and build a short-lived state that historians today call the Kingdom of Upper Mesopotamia. This kingdom, however, was very unstable and didn't survive the death of Shamshi Adad. Now, just to make it clear, 
By this point, more than 250 years had passed since the fall of the Akkadian Empire, and more than 150 years since the Amorites began to enter Sumer, and the Amorites had by this point intermingled with the native population and became mostly indistinguishable from them. They began worshipping the local gods, they adopted the cuneiform for their language, the art dating to this period wasn't that different from the one that predated it. Also, the Amorites themselves began to be distinguished by region, with records mentioning the Sumerian Amorites compared to the Mary Amorites, and so on. In two things, however, the Amorites brought deep changes to the areas they now ruled, and most of all, to Sumer. The first was language. The Amorites kept their language, and although no doubt it was influenced by the Sumerian and even more by the Semitic Akkadian, Amorite was now the language of Mesopotamia. The second was the demise of the ideal of the city-state and the prominence of the city. These were alien to the Amorites, who had their own traditional form of rule, the chieftains. These would now become kings who would rule, and it was they, not the city or cities, that were the center of power. These two radical changes seem to have brought the final blow to the once glorious Sumerian identity and culture. And soon, even southern Mesopotamia's name will change in the culmination of the Amorite ascendancy, which will grant it a new name, Babylon. Babylon is the Latin name derived from the Akkadian and Babylonian word Babylim. It is not known if Babylon was the translation of the original Sumerian name, or simply a transformation of a similar name in Sumerian. The name Babilim is composed of the words Bab and Elim, which translate to door or gate of the gods. And to those of you who speak them, it is very close to these words in Arabic or Hebrew. The town that would later be Babylon was located in the area of Agade, or Akkad, and predated the Akkadian Empire. The patron deity of Babylon from its early days was the god Marduk, or Marutuk in Babylonian, who was associated with water, vegetation, judgment, and magic. The first definite mentioning of the town dates to the reign of Sharkalishari of Akkad, who constructed a temple there. Other than that, the city remained relatively obscure until the rise of the third dynasty of Ur, during which it slowly began to grow and prosper and was soon made the provincial capital. In the aftermath of the fall of the dynasty, an Amorite chieftain called Sumu Abum seized control of the town and the territory surrounding it, forming a small but independent state for himself. I use the term state because Babylon seems to have been of such small importance at the time that Sumu Abum didn't even bother in taking the title king for himself. Little is known about his reign and that of his next four successors. They seem to have focused on consolidating their territory and on Babylon itself, digging canals, constructing and strengthening its walls, and slowly expanding the city, while slowly but steadily expanding their state, so that by the reign of the fifth king, Sin Muballit, his territory stretched from Sippar in the north to Marad in the south, and he finally took the title of king. After a reign of 19 years, Sin Muballit abdicated the throne, probably due to health reasons. By now, although the Kingdom of Babylon was a well-established player in local geopolitical affairs, 
it was still a small kingdom overshadowed by many stronger and larger neighbors, some of whom were also just starting their own path of expansion. To the southeast of Babylon was the most powerful state in Sumer at that time, which controlled most of that area, the Amorite dynasty of Larsa. That dynasty rose to prominence a generation before, and at that time was at the height of its power under Rimsim and was in an on-and-off conflict with Babylon. Between Babylon and the territory of Larsa lay the city of Isin, which although under Larsa's hegemony at this point, was more of a buffer zone between the two states, being constantly raided and falling for a short time to Sinmobalit's troops two years earlier. To the northeast lay the territory of another rising power in the area, the expansionist state of Ishnuna, under its ruler, Dadusha. To the east, beyond these two states, lay the ever-hostile Ailamites. To the northwest was the Amorite kingdom of Upper Mesopotamia, founded by the aforementioned Chamshi Adad, who by now shared power with his two sons, with each one of them ruling from a different city, Mari, Ikalatum, and Shubat Inlil. It was into this complex and difficult situation that a young prince called Hammurabi ascended to the throne of Babylon. And although today he is remembered most of all for his law code, and for the expression, an eye for an eye, it was through diplomacy, political shrewdness, and conquest that he would set out on the path of turning his small kingdom into an empire, and his city into one of the greatest and most coveted cities in the world. Thank you all for listening to the Conqueror's Podcast. If you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it and press the subscribe button. Your reviews and comments are most welcome. You can leave them on the podcast's Facebook page called The Conqueror's Podcast, a YouTube channel with the same name, or on iTunes or any platform you guys use to listen. You can also contact me directly at theconquerorspodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time for the story of Hammurabi, the lawgiver.